Aslan Karatsev has proven that he's no one-hit wonder while Alexander Zverev takes his first title of 2021. But the more pressing matter is the verbal tirade that Vasek Pospisil was on the end of at the hands of the ATP CEO, Andrea Gordenzi. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febaro, and joining me, he didn't join me last week. I missed him very, very dearly. A big thank you to Jordan Kunalis again. But Joel Frucci, he is back. Joel, how are you, my friend? Uh, yeah, extremely good, Val. Um, this seat is very warm. Jordan did a great job in keeping it uh, nice and toasty. So thanks to uh, Jordan Kunalis. Uh, but good to be back. Um, and very excited to continue the soiree that is tennis. It's been a very, very interesting week, hasn't it? Oh, you bet it's been an interesting week. This has been, uh, well, look, we've got to start with the um, with, with what happened today in Miami. Ivashek Pospisil playing against uh, Mackenzie McDonald. He's, uh, he's absolutely obliterated his racket at one point and then been uh, given a violation for it, then a point penalty to end the opening set. And then after that, he's gone rogue. He has gone absolutely rogue. And, of course, he is a member of the PTPA, the infamous... PTPA, uh, which was f- uh, founded by himself and Novak Djokovic. Um, Djokovic not in Miami, of course, citing COVID restrictions of all things. Um, he seemed to have no problem Never with that. Be- no problem with that before, but we'll move on. Um, so Vasek has um, has been. I think he was fronting the PTPA. There was a there was talk of a vote whether the player should or shouldn't play in Miami, which is which already it's pretty much at the level of a 500 event with the amount of emissions that there are. I think 33 of the top 100 aren't in this tournament. But the sequence of events in this uh, in this sort of weird, weird situation, um, as written by Open Court, Stephanie Miles, wonderful journalist she is, uh, at 3-4 in the first set, having been broken and not making a massive effort on the return, Pospisil fires a return off the court at 40-love to give McDonald the lead at 5-3. He then banged the towel box with his racket, which earned him some words from umpire Arnard Gavas. Uh, why, uh, what I can't do that was the techie repli- techy reply from Pospisil. Um, uh, before, then before Pospisil served to stay in the set, he crushed the racket against the court. Pieces went flying all over the place. He then left it in the corner of the court as Gavas issued a warning for racket abuse. Then returning to the racket, he threw it hard back uh, back to his bench area. Also, not a particularly wise move. And then returned to the bench area to finish the poor racket off. Uh, on the first point, he underarmed a serve and fired a one-handed backhand way long at 15-love. He tanked a backhand into the net. 15-30, double fault. 15-40, mumbling obscenities. He was awarded a point penalty for the second violation, thus giving the set to McDonald. But, Joel, it gets worse. Gabas asked him what was wrong with him on this day. That was enough to get him going. Now, excuse the language, but I'm going to say the words just for theatre and just to show you the extent of how angry Vashek was. What? Um, Kids in cars, you've been warned. Exactly right. Uh, what's happening today? An hour and a half. What's happening today? An hour and a half yesterday, the chair of the ATP fucking screaming at me in a player meeting for trying to unite the players. <laughs> for an hour and a half, the leader of the ATP. Get him out of here. Fuck. Fucking asshole. Gavas had had enough and suggested that if Pospisil had something to say to Gudenzi, he should say it outside of the court. 
That didn't go well. Pospisil continued on. Why am I supporting this fucking tour? You, you want to default me? I'll gladly sue this whole organization, he added. So he has obviously been extremely rattled by what's happened and what's gone on. Um, it's, I'm, I'm genuinely stunned by, by what's happened. He's just continued and continued to go on. Um, and he ended up winning the second set, but lost the third. So he lost in a tight three setter to McDonald, who was the number one seed in qualifying and has had a good season. Um, no doubt. So I'm not surprised he actually got through that one, but Pospisil on Twitter, I want to sincerely apologize for my behavior on the court in Miami earlier today. I disrespected the game. I love him for that. I'm truly sorry. By way of explanation, I felt deeply unnerved during a meeting between players and ATP executives last night and I underestimated the toll those emotions took on me until I stepped out onto the court today. Again, I'm sorry for my on-court behavior and the language I used. So, look, Joel, I'm still stunned. I still don't know what to make of it. And look, it's not the first time Godenzi has spoken down to the players. We had Andrew Harris on last year um, talking yeah. about what Godenzi had said to the players in meeting and talking down to them like they didn't know what they were talking about. And I think it's probably taken a little bit of a toll on a lot of the players and what they've had to go through. But God, this is this is unprecedented, isn't it? It was a big spray from uh, from Varshek. Um, and uh, yeah, we know that he, that him and Novak Djokovic, as you mentioned, Bell, were the the real driving forces behind the, the PTPA, which really sort of came out of the blue as this kind of rebel player council. Um, so in that sense, it's kind of no surprise. Um, in a sense, in a sense of the the player that that the words actually came from, I think the actual nature of the outburst from Varchek was probably a surprise because even though he is quite an outspoken guy, he's actually usually quite calm and and measured. But that was some kind of some kind of tantrum. And look, we're going to ask uh, Brett Phillips uh, from the first serve later on what he makes of the whole situation. Um, but you know, this is probably the first time that we've really kind of uh, spoken about the PTPA, probably since it, it first got going as a bit of a thought bubble last year, probably about halfway through last year. It's kind of just been, I don't know, festering in the background a little bit, kind of just sitting there dormant without much action. Um, a lot of the players, the, the big players, were, were asked about it because probably other than Novak and Varshek, there were a lot of kind of lower-ranked, mid-level um, players on the ATP uh, that, you know, that essentially put their interest forward in this particular group. But um, clearly it didn't have the support of the bigger men. And we didn't hear a whole lot about it from the WTA either. And um, I think both both Vashek and Novak were, were talking about the fact that eventually they want to bring the WTA and the players into this concept. But, you know, I think... There's still a lot of water to go onto the bridge and a lot of work to do for them if this thing is actually going to going to grow some legs. But look, now that it's back on the map, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a really really interesting situation because you know, tennis is still in this precarious pandemic position. Um, how'd you like that triple liberation? Probably. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's still there's uh, there's still a bit to play out in terms of uh, getting back to normality in tennis. So. Look, it's it's interesting. I, I just I really wonder what what this is going to prompt. Uh, like, what's what's to come after this? Yeah, I, I genuinely have no idea, Joel. Um, you know where where tennis is lying, and you're right; it is in a very 
precarious position with with how the tournaments are placed and you know what the players want to do and I know a lot of players are very nervous and tentative about actually traveling and a lot of them haven't come to Miami and there's been a lot of tweets saying oh geez the Miami challenge is looking pretty good this week um so because that many players have actually pulled out of the tournament so yeah um you know it is a good opportunity for a lot of players to actually play in the, on the ATP but then the problem is a lot of them can't travel and especially the ones from Australia how many are staying home because it's just so far and it's so unnecessary and so difficult to actually travel and then getting back home is even harder with the two weeks quarantine that isn't paid for by the government anymore. So, you know, it's a question of what do they actually do? Do they risk leaving, possibly getting the virus because it's still very prevalent outside of Australia. We've done really well to negate it in this country, but in England and in Europe, it's bad. It is really bad. So, you know, I, I didn't think we'd still be talking about the severity of this of this pandemic at this time this in March 2021, almost April. But it looks as though that's what we're going to be talking about for, for a long time still to come because it's, it's creating tension because of the sheer stress and anxiety that people are going through. And the players, are, especially because of the sheer travel, prize money is dropping. Some players aren't going to be able to cope too much longer, Joel. Yeah, no, I think certainly like taking the Australian players as as an example, um, and you already mentioned it there, Val. But yeah, if they were to travel uh, and and then to come back uh, for for that fourteen days of, of hotel quarantine, you're, you're probably looking at about three thousand dollars out of your own pocket. So, um, you know, realistically, you know, if if uh, if you're a, a battling Aussie player, um, and I'm sure that. You could probably apply this to players from from other countries. I know that um, I think the UK now do quarantine for uh, I think quote unquote high risk locations. I'm not exactly sure what the criteria is for that, but um, there's a few more countries that have ruled out a program like that now. And you've kind of got to ask yourself, like for the players, specifically, you know, even though there might be some opportunities for them, um, you know, at, at uh, events like Miami and stuff, which no doubt. There's a lot of players that will see the opportunity in that and will um, obviously have gone and, and played in it or attempted to qualify. But um, you know, for, for certain players, you know, if they were to if they were to lose in qualifying or if they were to lose in the first round, they would probably have to sort of almost ask ask themselves like, is it really worth that while financially going? Because you've got the expenses of you know your flights and you know, your staff, and then uh, depending on where you head back to. Um, you know, you, then you've got your your quarantine as well, which is uh, a four figure sum. So, yeah, it's just it's yeah. a really really difficult position. And um, yeah, I, I guess what it, what it tells us is that uh, at least in, in tennis, and, and I think certainly um, more broadly speaking, I think Val, there's probably there's still a long way to go before we uh, we we find our way back to what we know as as normal. Unfortunately. Yep, that's exactly right. Um... It's and look, the COVID normal that we're living in Australia now is is something that's going to be bearable, and restrictions will improve in Melbourne. And those who actually go back and listen to this podcast chronologically through last year will have gone through the ride with us and and how difficult it actually was. And now we're we're coming out on the other side yeah. of it. But there's so and we can't forget that there's so many other countries that don't have the privilege of being in the position that we're in. So. Um, our hearts do go out to them and we hope that everything does get sorted very soon. But it is a worry and it is a worry for the players because tensions will continue to rise. And I think the ATP chairman and and I think both are at fault 
here. I understand that the players want more of a voice and they want, you know, they want better livelihoods for those players that are trying to to get themselves into the game and, and they want the players in the 300s to be able to live and, and function and be able to live comfortably off playing tennis and not having to fight and scrap and lose money every year, which is fair enough. But then I see where the ATP is coming from and the tennis officials coming from because they're essentially trying to secede rather than to work with the ATP and to keep pressuring them that way. Yeah. And I think it's to, to secede and we don't know what's going on inside, inside the walls of, of the organizations and, and how they're run, but secession is not the right way. Look what happened to America in the 1850s. <laughs> Didn't go very well. <laughs> yeah. Did... I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably not the right time for it. I mean, no, I think the intent with, I think, look, the intent of, and I use that word intense. He, he always uses the good intentions, right? Um, but <laughs> Novak and, and Varshek clearly have the right intentions at heart. And, you know, we've spoken a lot about that particular phrase over the last little while, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's not, not the time I think to go and form a, a breakaway group and, and really put a, a, a huge, this huge chasm among the tour. What's really interesting for me, Val, and we, we spoke to a few of the girls on tour last year and we asked them like, how's the communication been from the WTA? Uh, the, the majority, if not all of, the women that we spoke to said that the communication had been really good from yeah. the WTA. So, well, yeah, what's what's really interesting for me is just you know how um, how one side of the tour can can uh, you know have some sort of I guess alignment and unity, whereas the ATP is just uh, behind the scenes, evidently is just so quite clearly fragmented and split yep. it's, uh, it's really really fascinating well yeah there's been there's been no real change has there with everything that's come out so um, yeah, would the, absol- only, the only sort of I guess disunity or disquiet from the WTA that I've noticed has been uh, among the rankings and there's been a, sort of a few players I guess usual sort of suspects like Elise Cornet who we know loves loves an opinion and, <laughs> uh, and loves a tweet but uh, yeah there's been a, I guess a bit of disquiet about the rankings the fact that Ash Barty is still number one despite yeah. doing no travelling last year. But apart from that, it's it's been relatively smooth yeah. sailing. Yeah. Well, Zverev even said it last week. The fact that, and he said, look, I'm Roger Federer's biggest fan, but the fact that I've played a full season and he's above me in the rankings and he hasn't he's played two matches in the last 13 months, that doesn't make sense. And look, he does have a point. He does have a point. So I... I it is a fair way of doing it because some people are more... And it, it, Look, I couldn't think of a better way to be doing it. That's the problem. So it's unfair, but it's yeah. fair at the same time. But It's a tough situation around. Yeah, because how... And we said it at the time. There's going to be there's going to be losers, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and when we say there's going to be losers, there's going to be a lot of losers in this yeah. situation. Um, and probably probably very few winners. I mean, there's you could probably put your... Put your finger on a handful of winners across both sides, the the ATP and the WTA. Like probably Federer uh, and Barty. Like, yeah, Federer, Barty. Um, and then and then you know you look at players that have just you know leapt up the or shot up the rankings like Aslan Karatsev. But yeah. you know other than that, there's there's really not a whole heap of, of players that have won out, which is no. no surprise. No, not at all. Not a surprise at all. But um, look, speaking of Aslan Karatsev, he's won his maiden ATP title, and this guy. The only two players to beat him this season, Joel, 
a dominant team in three sets and Novak Djokovic, who supposedly had an injury, supposedly, sorry, God, I can't sure. believe I just did that. That it, I deserve to be <laughs> slapped across the face for that. Um, uh, supposedly had an injury. So this Karatsev has just been unbelievable this season and probably sits as the form player with what he's been able to conjure up. He was unseeded and beat some unbelievable players throughout the last week in Dubai. Lloyd Harris in the final. Andre Rublev was on a 25-match or ATP 500-match winning streak. Hadn't lost since uh, midway through last season. I think Rotterdam last year was the last time he lost the, uh, in a 500 event, which is just stunning form. Uh, so he's beaten Rublev in the semis. He's beaten Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals in an epic three-setter. Lorenzo Sonigo, who made the Vienna final last year and beat Novak Djokovic. He's beaten Dan yeah. Evans, who's in great form. And Igor Gerasimov, who can play some very good tennis when he wants to. So Aslan Carrot said, the lion or carrots, as you like to call him, carrots, is, yeah. is uh, the way that he hits the ball as well, Joel. He clubs it. He doesn't just hit it. He hits people off the court, which is so impressive to watch. And you love when players aren't a flash in the pan. And we watched him against Diego Schwartzman yeah. at the Australian Open. We thought, oh, God, how's he managed to pull this off? And, you know, this this can't go for too much longer. Gets through Felix Oje Aliasim from four from two sets to love down, then gets over Grigor Dimitrov, who has to, who's clearly hampered. And he played okay against Novak Djokovic as well. So very, very impressive season from the Russian. Yeah, absolutely. And uh you know, the body count's just stacking up for, for us for us. Like it's it's been incredible. And uh, you know, the more that he wins, the sort of more that I revisit the, the stories that, that came to light about this guy um, at the Australian Open. Um, I guess mainly towards the end of the tournament, Jim Carrey was talking about how he had to borrow some clothes off Misha's Berev because he didn't pack enough to get through, uh, well, first of all, qualifying, and then the fact that he actually got to the main draw. Um, he didn't have enough, and he was playing on one one <laughs> set of runners. Um, and uh, that particular pair of ASICs looked absolutely beaten up by the time um, his run came to an end against Novak Djokovic, and um, I think it might have been Leighton Hewitt as well on the on the uh, commentary on Channel Nine that um, that uh, mentioned uh, a chat that he had with with John Millman, who was uh, was talking about Aslan, and he said, "Look out for this guy because he's going to be top forty by by the end of the year." And sure enough, he's ranked in the thirties by March. Um, it's just been. A, just a meteoric rise. It's been really, really incredible, and um, it's 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 great to see that he's been able to keep it going because yeah. he's because he's got one of those game styles where if it's off, it's 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 quite easy to go off the boil completely and really lose your bundle and, and lose by a big scoreline because he hits it with so much power. But um, he, he just keeps on keeping on and. You got to say though, at the moment, um, he he doesn't look like slowing down anytime soon, no. does he? No, he really doesn't. And and just to just to park the carrots of chat for the show because we're going to be speaking about him a lot more throughout this year. I feel um, before we do get to BP, Daniel Medvedev had one of the all time gaffes today at the Miami Open. <laughs> He's been asked to do a sound check um, and his interview. Oh. So the producer just says, Daniel, what did you have for breakfast this morning? 
And he kind of looked a bit puzzled by the question. He didn't understand that it was a sound check. And he goes, oh, for breakfast, I had um, I had eggs with avocado. There were two poached eggs. And then, and then um, the guy goes, brilliant. And then he keeps going. And he goes, oh, and then I had some cereals. And then after this and this. And then after he realized, he was like, oh, my God, they were just testing the sound. Absolutely phenomenal <laughs> from Daniel Medvedev. It was one of the best things. Go check it out, ATP Tennis TV on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. One of the best things you'll see today. It'll immediately put a smile on your face. But we should get to BP. Shut your fuck up. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I wasn't expecting that at all, Joel. All right, now... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, now, okay. Whew, now let's get to BP. And a very good friend on this podcast. Well, he has just been there for us since the very beginning. And it's, I think in our humble Latrobe University days, he was our very first guest. And Brett Phillips is kind enough to join us again on Breakpoint Podcast. BP, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on. How are you? I'll tell you what, you guys are bigger than Ben Hur now. Humble beginnings, but uh, <laughs> just uh, greatness, greatness. Oh, Great to be here. We've got a long, long way to go before before that happens. Um, nowhere, nowhere near the first serve level. You guys are flying at the moment. Websites galore, doing wonderful things there. You've got your social media platforms. The graphics are out of this world, as well as all of the different podcasts that you guys have going. Aussies only. Um, in the huddle, the first serve radio show every Monday night on SEN. That's changed time slots as well. Amazing stuff at the moment. How's that all going? Yeah, it's good. I think, you know, like you guys, I mean, it's great that we can just continue the conversation all year. Uh, <laughs> all these people that think that the tennis stops after the Australian Open. It is the one sport where I think we'd all cry out for maybe an off-season <laughs> a breather. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. Uh, you, you've got to have your finger on the pulse twenty four seven. There are Aussies everywhere. Uh, there are tournaments everywhere. There are eyes at the back of your head, but it's exciting, and it's exciting that the tour has got some momentum now, and we'll, we'll hope that that doesn't get derailed in any way uh, throughout two thousand and twenty one. And obviously, the rest of that calendar post sort of mid year to be totally uh, ratified. But the players are in a groove. I sort of feel a bit for the Aussies, and we chatted to Matt Reid on the first serve this week, That, and they've all, since the Australian Open, incrementally been jumping on a plane and going. Some have taken a little longer. Someone like Max Purcell has decided just to stay at home uh, for the um, for the time being. He's not going to travel. So him and Luke would have probably played uh, doubles together in Miami, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, this week because of their rankings. But basically, once they're on that plane now, as Ash Barty said this week, Val, I'm away pretty much for the year. Yep. Uh, that, that's that's the scenario for the Australians, which is quite different to, obviously, the other competitors around the world who have those bases much closer uh, to the epicentre of tennis being, you know, Europe and the United States and that uh, Asian swing. So it's a big year for the Aussies to see how they cope with it all. Yeah, we're speaking to Luke uh, during the week, just sent him a message to see how things were going, and he's... um. He's playing doubles with uh, Oliver Marich, uh yeah. this week. And, yeah, he's just said Max is staying home for the time being just to make sure or just to ensure that his body is right and just to get his head in the right frame of mind to continue on in, in 2021. But you talked about the season being derailed. There was a vote between the players and the infamous now PTPA and Vashek Pospisil 
um, was involved in this and a vote to possibly cancel and stop playing the Miami Open. And this has resulted in, we've just talked about this, Andrea Godenzi going hammer and tong at the Canadian. And I, I would love to have been a fly in the wall in that room, but what did you make of the outburst today? It was absolutely, it, you just couldn't take your eyes off it. Not the same Varshik I saw hosting with Bethany Maddox-Sands, that ATP, uh, WTA sort of combined show last year, just, to, you know, sitting up there in uh, Whistler in Canada somewhere, uh, just enjoying, um, you know, just some time out, I suppose, which tennis players don't often get a chance to do. You know, Val, I go back, uh, I think it was Grothy and I had Varshik on the first serve, gee, it would have been almost about a year ago, I reckon, and... He obviously has always been a guy with an opinion and there was a lot of people who encouraged him, number one, to go on the player council. And when he went on the player council, he actually didn't like it. And he didn't like the way the ATP was being run and governed and we know it's a big point of conjecture. You know, the tournaments versus the players and, you know, the the guy who's the chairman is the sitting duck and Chris Kermode was the sitting duck. Mm -hmm. Where does that leave Andrea Gudensi? So you've gone from ousting Chris Kermode we don't want you because you're siding with the tournaments too much, not sticking up for the players. Andrea Gudensi walks into bushfires, then a pandemic, yep. and there's a bushfire going on inside tennis as well as he yep. tries to deal with what is the way forward for this sport. So a tough initiation for him. Now, yeah, look, Varshik, that that's unexpected today uh, to see him have that sort of outburst, but... You know, you take, you take people on face value of... I mean, he, he was genuine in what he was saying. There is absolute frustration. I'll just share a little text that I got uh, from someone that's quite close to the situation. I haven't heard activism per se recently. However, there was some talk about players two weeks ago boycotting Miami, which was never going to happen. As for the mid-tier guys, prize money and points are too valuable. There is a lot of discontent around rankings, schedule, players want breaks in the calendar and prize money drops. So I presume the tweet, which was a tweet by Stephanie Miles, the Canadian journalist, came back a couple of days ago that there was something bubbling at Miami. Watch this space. Mm. And obviously, Varshik has brought that to light today to say there was a pretty heated yep. meeting between the players and the ATP uh, executive there uh, last night. So... There's a, there's a lot going on at the moment and uh, it's difficult um, difficult times for tennis to navigate their way through. Just on this note, BP, um, I think when all the talk about the PTPA kind of kick-started probably last year with obviously Varsek and also Novak as well, I think probably from what I remember and made of the situation, it was a lot of those kind of, uh, you know, sort of the, the mid to lower ranked men that were, the main ones getting behind it from, I think, what we all saw. So, um, and then we heard some some thoughts on it from guys like Andy Murray and Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, um, you know, Serena Williams, all the all the big dogs of, of tennis, really. Um, moving forward, like, what are your thoughts on the actual concept continuing to gain legs? Because I guess for it to really turn into, you know, more than a thought bubble to become a you know a proper body, we have to get the support of those bigger players, really. Yeah, it's, it's sort of gone idle. Um, you know, it, it built some momentum and, and then the ATP came down really hard, almost just to totally squash mm. it and undermine it, basically. So, 
there's been no sort of official documentation to put together as to what the PTPA, um, you know, all the all the bits you need to uh, to start an organisation, if you like. I, I can see why they wanted to maybe go down this track because tennis, like team sports, for example, has never really had a play union, so to speak. Yes, they have a seat in a very unique governance structure where they have a seat on the table on the player council, but this is the whole issue and why Chris Commode uh, didn't um, continue his reign is that they didn't feel like they really had a say. They didn't feel like they had any real power in the sport. So Varshek here in Miami, because Novak's not in town, mm-hmm. has had to be the front man and, and really go hard at the ATP. And I think the biggest frustration at the moment is the rankings. So you can certainly see the argument of not penalising people who haven't wanted to travel during the pandemic. And Ash Barty's, well, the biggest beneficiary of the last 12 yeah. months and Roger on the men's side. Um, but you can also see the frustration. Well, how are we supposed to make any inroads with the way the rankings are? And it might stay that way, what, for the next year or two, potentially, uh, depending how we come out the backside of this pandemic. So there's just a lot of players who are genuinely doing it tough. I mean, Matt Reed said to us, on Monday night that he mightn't see at the year and he's talking to a lot of people who just might not, might actually stop at some point and go, I can't I can't globetrot around the world if the prize money is going to be diminishing at these tournaments. So you can understand, run as separate entities, they sign a contract, they've got to go out and get their own sponsors and fund the whole thing. They're not getting the ticket sales in a lot of parts of the world to bring uh, fans through. It's a, it's a really, really tough time in, in tennis at the moment. Yeah, it is. And Stefano Tsitsipas even alluded to this the other day in his press conference after Acapulco. He said there was there was some serious conversations going on ahead of Miami. And um, yeah. and now we understand what he was alluding to. It's, it's fairly serious. And looking at what the tour is going to look like for the rest of the season, it is obviously still uh, going to be a rolling schedule with new tournaments coming in and out um, of the yeah. season. But what... What can you see over the next two months when the clay court season does begin? Because obviously France is still in a very precarious position. England is still in a very precarious position. So the the next two Grand Slams would still be under jeopardy, wouldn't they be? Surely. Well, under under jeopardy from yeah having having fans. I'm I'm getting some Wimbledon correspondents sort of coming through to me this week that they're desperate to hold it. So they're going to hold it whatever it looks like, no fans, 10% fans, 25%, full house, whatever it might be. So they don't want to miss out two years in a row. Uh, the French, well, they've got to still keep paying for that roof, that mighty yes. roof. On Leaf <laughs> so, well, they've got another one coming. They've That's got another right. one coming on Court Suzanne Longlawn. Correct. Uh, you know, they're spending a lot of money over there, so they need to recoup some of that. So I think, I think the seasonal flow, um, it, it is... Yeah, obviously disappointing for the tournaments who can't have any uh, spectators in there. I'll never forget, you know, watching Rotterdam a few weeks ago when Milman and uh, Demonor had the rally of the year. Yeah. There's no one there. Incredible. You just wanted to jump through your TV and just give a standing ovation. So, yeah, it's just the way it's going to work for the moment. But, you know, for everyone who's outside of being able to choose, pick and choose when they want to play, everyone else is in a situation where we've got to play. This is our living. This is what we do, 
we've got to um, we've got to chase the dollars around the world and and somehow uh, make it make it work um, because if they're sitting home, particularly for the Aussies in Australia for another year, what are they going to do? Um, so mm. it's a, it's a tough time. Yeah, you mentioned some Wimbledon correspondence there, BP, and I think um, and we spoke a bit about this a bit last year, but you know the uncertainty of the calendar is as much of a headache for players, officials, um, broadcasters like y- yourself mm. as it is for, for the players. Um, and uh, as I recall as well, you got really caught up in in the probably the, the worst of this going over to Indian Wells last year and that in the end was was cancelled. So, um, I mean, the rest of the season, like how is it uh, looking for yourself? Are you sort of expecting to do any travelling or are you staying put here in Australia? I think I'll just stay here, Joel. Yeah, I, I don't fancy um, having to sit in a hotel room in Australia and I think we, you've got to yeah. pay for it now, don't you? If you come yeah. back to Australia yeah. with your own house. Yeah. Unless my uh, magnificent boss uh, would love to pull out a cheque. Um, no, I, I think I'll, uh, I'll just stay here and... You've already been going down that track of applying for a sort of online remote accreditation, and we'll do it that way. I'm hoping maybe by the end of the year, uh, with the ATP finals being moved to Turin next gen in Milan, uh, an hour by train, that maybe things in November might be okay to do a late little sneak in a little late trip uh, late in the year. But yeah, I, I think for uh, for us here, it's been like the players. You'd have to make a decision. I'm not in that situation where I can just go, okay, well, we'll go for six, eight months and not come home. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's um, it's bleary-eyed nights trying to cover this great sport that we love from Australia, which is also challenging. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. Well, yeah. one thing we did have last week was I think we had some very kind time zones with what happened in Acapulco, and they start because the Mexicans are such party animals. They start at you know ten <laughs> ten thirty at night for their play, and then you've got Dubai on the other hand, which starts fairly sort of around that 8, 9 o'clock mark. So it was okay in terms of watching that. But what have you made of the season so far? And look, we've got two completely above the above the pack men, in my opinion anyway, that have come through and have just continued to kick on. That's Aslan Karatsev and Lorenzo Mazzetti. Both of those two had stunning weeks last week with Karatsev winning yep. in uh, in Dubai and then Mazzetti with the semifinal in, um, in Acapulco. What have you made of both of them, and what have you made of the season so far? We spoke to um, Christophe Mallet of on uh, on from SBS last week about this. What his opinion of the season is, and what's yours so far, BP? Yeah, I, I think we all love new names emerging. We're always keeping an eye on who's 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 making the inroads. It's it's quite unbelievable to think that Karatsev hasn't emerged before now. But everyone goes on their different journey and peaks at a certain time. But he just looks so comfortable, doesn't he, at the level? Mm. So comfortable. And you're thinking, this is not going to be a flash in the pan. This guy is here to stay. And now 27 in the world, who's going to bully this guy off the baseline? I mean, he's as strong as an ox. Those calves. I remember we had the uh, the view uh, through the window. He's striding open. We have the ankle view. And I'm just staring at these calves uh, the whole time. <laughs> I was trying not to. And I'm thinking, this guy is, is so strong. He looks confident. Uh, power, you know, I was so when, when we were looking at Dubai last week and you were thinking, hey, Rublev semi-final, how's he going to go? Because Andre's been running hot. And even Andre had no answers to this guy. So I think it's a great story. that, And it should give hope. It should give hope to everyone. Uh, and particularly the Australians who are thinking, geez, am I making the steps? I'm sort of, you know, I'm just sort of 
staying thereabouts, like a Duckworth, O'Connell, Polmans, who are there, 100 to 150, trying to get out of that area, which is yeah, like the Bermuda Triangle. It's tough to uh, get out of there and really make a breakthrough. But Karatsev should be the inspiration. So I love what he's doing, and he's 27. And then you go to Lorenzo, who, what is 18, uh, 19, uh, who's it just looks, he looks the part. I uh, watched all these matches in Acapulco last week. I love the Italians and the way they play their tennis. And, you know, they grow up on clay. They look, you know, competent on the hard courts. And uh, he's he's got just a game there that can certainly take me. You can see, okay, we saw it with Sinner. You can see it with uh, Musetti's going to get there. You can just see the ones that will make the natural jump. Uh, others, it's, uh, it's a little less subtle. So, yeah, I love the fact that... Um, you know, the, the next-gen guys are just getting better and better and better. You know, I think Medvedev still is at the top of the pack for me. Uh, Pass is the really interesting one. I love watching him. I just don't know whether he can crack the next step. I, everyone's convinced he can. I, I'm just not quite sure. It, I'm talking sort of – I'm talking big Masters 1,000 Grand Slam finals on a regular basis. Um, Rublev, you know, I still think is a work in progress, but – uh, gee, uh, he, he he's, he's dynamic. I mean, he's, there's no subtlety in the Rublev game, although there's lots of little things he's improved, not, not from a technique and a temperament uh, sort of point of view. And there's a few guys that you're not quite sure. There's some that are sort of uh, sitting there, like Shapovalov, is he going to go higher? We don't know. Paul Chorich has dropped back now. Um, he was sort of maybe on the cusp of the top ten. There's just names emerging everywhere, to be totally honest. And, you know, we hope that, you know, certainly Popperin keeps taking that natural progression from an Australian point of view. You know, I was chatting to Alex Demonor's manager yesterday, Andy, and, you know, Alex has got a big period coming up now. He's going to play Miami. He's pretty much going to play all the clay court season. So he hasn't tried to go too hard too early, just trying to peak at the right times. For Alex, can he take the jump? And if you look what's ahead of him, it's a bloody tough jump to yep. make. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. And talking of uh, the Aussies, BP, and uh, players that just uh, keep on keeping on, and of course, subverserve.com.au, all over the Australian uh, players. Don't forget, listen, go check it out. Um, two players that re- have really stood out for me over the uh, the course of 2021 so far have been uh, Matt Ebden and also uh, Storm Sanders, soon to be, funnily enough, Storm Hunter. That's an even cooler name, cooler name than she, she's already got. She's engaged. So, um, that, that's uh, that's pretty awesome as well, just uh, as a side note. But those two have been really, really impressive so far. So I watched Storm uh, today, and she had a little lapse in the second, but her first and her third sets were terrific. Gee, I think there's some upside to Storm. If she can stay injury-free, like she's got to live uh, 188 today. This is, this is where tournaments like Miami are just huge. If you can pinch two or three rounds. So... Um, yeah, I love the way she plays. I mean, she's, she plays better when she's aggressive, but you've got to be able to control that aggression. Her margins are, you know, they're really small. Yeah. You've got to put your hands over your head at times and storm, just give yourself a little bit more you know, leeway there. But she loves to play close to the lines and uh, put her opponent on the back foot. So, yeah, I like the way she's going. I think out of all the girls, because I'll tell you what, the ones above her, I can't see where the uh, further progression is going to come, to be totally honest. I might I might separate Astra Sharma slightly, but I think for, uh, well, Hon we haven't seen for a little while, Cabrera, uh, Maddie Inglis, uh, well, Kim Birrell's had so many injuries. 
I'm not sure that pack who's going to emerge. I think Storm can sort of jump over all of those. If she can get some continuity and actually play a fair chunk of the year, that'd be nice. I'm just looking at the second round, and uh, it's a tough one, isn't it, against uh, probably the most, well, one of the most informed players on the tour at the moment in Jessica Pagula. Yeah. Oh, I loved her. That tennis. is a tough one. <laughs> loved yeah. her tennis at the Australian Open. She just looked like Koretsev. Like, you know, where have you been? I mean, she's had her injuries and a few things yeah. happening in her life, but... Uh, some of these players are really blossoming now, 27-28. Yep, exactly right. And it's becoming that's becoming the peaking age at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to see what Karatsev is able to do. And same with Pagula this year. Yeah, correct. And just to uh, finish off Joel there, uh, Matty Ebden, well, there you go. I mean, you can have a little run of outs and then you can sort of go again at 33. I mean, yep. 33 is almost like the new 28. So... You know, he might have another three good years. I was watching him in Dubai. He's having a week off this week. He was out fishing and he's just resting the body. He's gone pretty hard for the start of the year. But he's a smart tennis player, uh, Ebden. And when he did special comments with us at the Aussie Open, he did look super fit and he looked hungry as well. He doesn't want to finish his career ranked in the 300s. He's far better than that. So uh, I think he's going to uh, Europe next for a couple of tournaments. And, you know, if he keeps playing all year, he should be... You know, he should be able to get rid of those points pretty quickly and get back towards somewhere near the top 100, hopefully. Yep, definitely agree. And he's always been thereabouts. He's been in the 60s and uh, I think career high around that 63 mark. And he's just been injured at the wrong times when he can go on and make that next leap. I think he's got a tour-level final um, back in 2016 where he made the Newport final. So it's been... He's got the ability to do it, so hopefully we can see the best from Matthew Ebden and the best from a lot of Australian players, Storm Sanders included. But BP, thank you very much for joining us on Breakpoint. It's been an absolute pleasure. Remember, you can check out the first serve, thefirstserve.com.au, and um, we'll give the uh, social media uh, channels a plug as well very, very shortly. But BP, thank you very much, and uh, good luck with the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll see you on the podcast very soon again. Uh, pleasure, guys. Let's uh, let's get the Aussies fired up and uh, take the world by storm. Storm Sanders, back to me. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, very, very good, BP. Thank you very much. Brett Phillips there does not get any better than that. He's been a great friend of the show ever since we started back, or ever since we started doing Breakpoint Podcast such a long time ago. Back 2015, wasn't it, Joel, when we started? It's been uh, it's been a little while overall. We went uh, uh, obviously we're a bit tired uh, there for a little bit, but uh, yeah, he's he he's been there since the very beginning, as yep. as Brett pretty much when we were in our humble little digs back at uni, and he uh, happily for us. So uh, yeah, we're always thankful um, to him for for helping us out and for joining us every time. Yeah, we definitely are. He's been such a wonderful friend of the program, and remember, you can follow. The First Serve on Twitter at the First Serve AU. Follow them on Instagram as well and like them on Facebook, The First Serve, and subscribe to all the podcast platforms. They've got such an amazing uh, website going at the moment, thefirstserve.com.au as well, because all of the content written by uh, Jed Zetzer um, and, and Co. Um, it, it, it's just all above, mm. all above board. It's phenomenal. And then the social media has gone to another level as well uh, this year with all the infographics and stuff that they've got going. But uh, Joel, it is time for the best segment on any podcast or broadcast that's ever been invented. It's better than anything. <laughs> it's the Benoit of the week. And look, Benoit got the nomination a couple of weeks ago. We gave a double. I gave Jordan a um, a honorary Benoit 
last week. So we could. So I thought he's co-hosting yeah, he the show. It. I'll let him have one. He did. He did deserve it. Um, but who is Benoit this week? Well, it's hard to look past Pospisil because mm. not only did he crack one of the panties of, you'd have to say, just almost of the modern era in tennis because there's been tantrums. Obviously, we've seen the Mikhail Yuznis, we saw Marcos Bagdadis, but I mean, this one was, was pretty extraordinary and obviously we've spoken about it a bit already earlier in the show. Um but, but just some of the stuff that he did, absolutely whacking that racket, the, the bits just went absolutely everywhere. The stuff that he said about Gwenduzi, um Gwenduzi? Oh, my goodness. Just, <laughs> I, think, I think you Gordenzi, need a Benoit. Yeah, that's right. I'm thinking of the soccer player. Gordenzi. Yeah. <laughs> Gordenzi, yeah. Maybe I should go to Benoit. I'm oh, I think Arsenal I've got to give you a nomination for that. That is, that is yeah. shocking. Maybe I should give myself... Yeah. Maybe I should give myself one. But nah, no, you've got yeah, one. So that is that is a double games. Benoit. So Vash, Vashek okay, and yeah, yourself. So, so it's been it has been a week. So other than other than uh, me, it is it is Vasek because of uh, what what he said in that particular match. And uh, in the end, he his second set, but in the end, won overall. So uh, it was quite the day for Vasek. And then then in the end, he did, didn't do press and. <laughs> Apologised on Twitter as uh, so often happens. So uh, there you go, a couple of Benoit's for the road for everybody. Yep, and it was an absolute disaster. It was a disaster of a, of a day for Vashek Pospisil, a disaster. Forty eight hours for him, pretty much. But Joel, that about wraps up our show today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you back on, and I missed you dearly last week. Um, so it's been nice to look across at you um, in your bedroom, uh, from my bedroom in Zoom. Um, but yeah, it's been fantastic. Thanks very much, mate, for your efforts. No, that's all right. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> what did you call me? I called you Bill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought you, I thought you did it on purpose. But um, no, I realised because you called, um, because you called Gordenzi the wrong name. Um, yeah, that's a great way to end the show. Well done, Joel. Thank you very much. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Facebook Breakpoint Podcast, and Instagram Breakpoint Podcast as well. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify and Wooshka, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. It's been Val Febo and Joel Frucci talking tennis with you as we do every week on Breakpoint. We'll catch you next time.